Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to The Old Men and the Three ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You know what gets me through the home stretch of the NBA season? A solid mystery thriller, which is why I highly recommend checking out Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You'll always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. I'm currently listening to The Wager by David Grant. It's a thrilling story of shipwreck, survival, and savagery, culminating in a court-martial that reveals a shocking truth. And good news, as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. And... New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. That's audible.com slash JJ or text JJ to 500-500. Tommy, weather's getting warmer. Beautiful. It's getting really nice here in New York, and I'm excited to announce that I have a couple big matches this week on the golf course where else would I go, Jason? Don't I think the fans are so excited for this <laughs> this weekly update coming back. I'm, I'm just saying, I've got some things lined up this week, and I'm very excited. It's been a busy couple weeks for You've me. You've been working. I've been working, You've been man. Working. I haven't headed, played golf in a while. You're headed I'm just, south. I'm just excited to to have some action and gamble a little bit, and hopefully collect some debts on Cash App. Tell us about tell us about where you're going today. Oh, I'm going down to Nashville today. I'm going down to Nashville today. Going to do busing with the boys. You can check that out next week, but I will get a match in in Nashville, and then I'm playing uh, in the New York area. I'll just describe it as a course in the New York area on Friday. Very excited. Uh, and again, Cash App. Welcome to The Old Men of the Three with J.J. Reddick and Tommy Alter, presented by Cash App and brought to you by 342 Productions. This is episode 116, Trey Young. Tommy Trey is a guy that we've wanted to get on the show for a long time. Uh, I feel blessed. I feel blessed by his presence today. And I always love yeah. doing these in person. Really cool basketball conversation. It really was. He actually he comments about uh, about how how specific it got with the stats and you know nerding <laughs> out a little bit. But I think that that's what we do on this show. That's what we try to do. Try that's to do. What, the other thing we try time. to do is we try to get into the psyche of a player. And Trey, I think, is one of the most fascinating players in the NBA because of his persona on the court, uh, his ability to score and create, and uh, the brashness, uh, the confidence, and also his ability to do all of that um, in a smaller frame. And we talk about that a little yeah. bit, which I, I find to be fascinating, how he's able to uh, score and, 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 and create it at such an alarming rate um, for someone who in the modern NBA is is undersized. Yeah, and he's been doing it since, as he said, since he was in middle school. Yeah. Um, not much else to talk about here, Tommy. We are recording this after game one of the Celtics Heat uh, Eastern Conference Finals. So there will be a couple games that happen uh, by the time we release this. Um, we just 
we obviously should just give out a shout out. And I think we said this uh, in our playoff, you know, final Eastern Conference Finals preview the other day. But Jimmy Butler's a fucking superstar. Yeah, he keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. This is the this is like peak Jimmy Butler. This is the best Jimmy has has looked. Um, both sides of the ball too. Uh, you know, this, the steals in the third quarter last night, the block on Tatum in the corner. Uh, just living in the mid-range, living at the free throw line. He's great, man. Is there going to be a certain point with this team where, you know, and I think the two of us are probably guilty of this as well, where it's like people are going to stop sleeping on them, where they're going to keep winning. And it keeps being like, oh, it's Miami. You know, we're not sure. They haven't they haven't faced the right matchup. Da, da, da. But like they they the depth is crazy with this team. Kyle's obviously still not playing. Is there? Uh, we're not making any bold declarations after game one, but well, I don't know what that looks like. You know, so much of the NBA is um, is star driven, and the the narrative around teams and the amount of attention teams get is is based on that. And you know, I don't know because I think Jimmy should absolutely get more attention than he does. And I've talked about this a little bit, but. You know, to me, Jimmy is a really smart and intelligent player. And so in the regular season, night to night, he recognizes what his team needs out of him. And sometimes that's defense. Sometimes that's being a facilitator. Sometimes that's scoring the basketball. But some of it is he doesn't – he puts up great stats and his, his advanced stats are great. But, you know, some of it is he doesn't put up these insane numbers. Um, and so we we kind of – we I don't want to say ignore him, but we kind of just sleep on him and, and don't give him – I think his the, the, his due flowers during the regular season. Then we get to the playoffs. And we're like, oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Jimmy Butler's fucking awesome. I forgot because like this isn't the first time that he's had a stretch like this in the playoffs. He's done this in the playoffs. I think the other person we should shout out briefly, who's a recent guest of ours, is Bam, who's been. I mean, he's a he's an Olympic, he's an Olympian, but he's been rock solid all playoffs, and he feels like another guy that's gone a little bit under the radar this year but this is a guy that's also done this before and i think he was a major reason why they got there a couple years ago and he's only gotten better since then yeah. uh, it was great last night yeah we touch on this a little bit with trey which i think is an important part of the conversation and in, in how important bam is to miami and why they are so uh prepared for any sort of matchup in the playoffs and it pretty much is because of bam and I thought he had a couple spectacular defensive plays last night, per usual. Uh, but he's phenomenal too. This this series is going to be great. I'm I'm really hoping. This is my this is my hope because I just I'm bummed Middleton missed the Bucks Celtics series. Uh, I'm bummed for all the guys across the league that are hurt. I'm really hoping that Marcus Smart is able to perform uh, at a high level in this series, and I'm I'm really hoping that Al Horford's uh, you know isolation quarantine goes quickly yeah. um that's just a bummer to me I, I want teams to be at full health and i want to see teams go toe-to-toe -to -toe. this, yeah, this series full strength is a yeah. is a gonna be a battle yep um all right let's get to this uh convo with our guy trey young all right trey thank you so much for joining us man uh we were just talking a lot of our listeners and viewers have wanted this episode for a long time so we appreciate the time no i appreciate you having me y'all this is this is going to be a lot of fun, and I, I thought it would be appropriate to sort of start with a little interaction that you and I had, and I just want to address it now, <laughs> which in uh, the fall of 2019, we're playing in our first preseason game in Atlanta. It's my first game for the Pelicans, 
and uh that was your first game it was my first game for the pelicans <laughs> it's a preseason game keep that in mind and i didn't feel like running back down the court after a missed shot or turnover i can't remember exactly what it was and i tried to foul you i just stopped and tried to foul you at the mm-hmm. three-quarter court line yeah about 75 feet from the basket and you nutmeg me <laughs> yeah no i remember it i remember that's one of my, my best moves i've had so far my best moves <laughs> Well, here's the thing. I, again, it was a preseason game, and I didn't want to like do the hard foul on yeah. you. You know what I mean? I was just trying to wrap you up. It was early in the game. What was fascinating to me about that play, though, was you dribbled so slow afterwards, and you got all the way to the basket. Yeah, your teammate didn't help you out <laughs> at all. <laughs> they were like, oh, we're going to make a highlight for JJ right now. No, for sure. Not, but whenever you do that, though, it's like – I know like when I threw it between your legs, you were trying to grab the ball at first, too. Cause I, was, I was a little bit – kind of away from you for a second and then whenever you crossed your arms i was able to get around you without you grabbing me and fouling me so uh this is the beginning of the end for jj <laughs> that's when he knew <laughs> it was no it was one of the first moments where i said fuck i'm getting old <laughs> no um wh- what is the origin of that because that's not the the only time you've done that in nba game i'd imagine that you you probably did that in youth basketball. I don't yeah. know if you did in college or not, but like, when did you start nutmegging people? Oh, I was doing that in middle school, high school. Like, but that, I always used it like as a tool, like when I'm on the sideline and I can't necessarily go around you or anything. Like, if, if that's the only way I can get the ball between you, I know if I if, you're, if the defender's cutting off the sideline, I'm able to throw between his legs and either run on the outside out of bounds or in the inside. So it's really. I'm something I've, I've done for a while. I did it in college a couple of times too. So uh, I did it a couple of times in the league, and yeah, everybody knows about the Trevor time and him shoving me and all that. So uh, I don't do it too much because I know everybody in the league doesn't like doesn't like that for sure. Wait, so when you were doing it in middle school, like at what point did your handle get to a place when you were growing up where you were like, I'm confident enough to just drop this on somebody in a game? It really didn't start to like eighth grade. So like when I was growing up, I was always like a shooter and. Um, I had my teammates that were really good at ball handling, and I was really just a guy that was on the wing. And that's why my range is so far is because I was always a guy that was on the wing. And as guys got taller, I was just trying to scoop my range further and further back and because uh, I wasn't growing. But I had to I had to learn how to uh, work on my handle. And it's around seventh, eighth grade. I got a lot better at that. So that's when I was able to really handle the ball. I wanted to I wanted to bring up the Trevor Ariza play the the attempted i'll call it an attempted nutmeg on trevor reason because i think it <laughs> yeah. i think it perfectly encapsulates the trey young experience and by that i mean the confidence to try a move or try a shot in an nba game um the the pushback from either a player or a fan base mm-hmm. um and then what i loved about the play because i rewatched it five times this morning what I love about the play is after he shoves you, you turn to the crowd yeah. and you give the, you know, make some noise motion. And that part of it is just like you embracing being essentially a villain. Mm-hmm. And I want to mm-hmm. kind of get the sense of where all of that started for you. Is did it Does it go all the way back mm-hmm. to middle school, high school, where people came at you? And your response was to embrace that role. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it really started from from growing up and playing up, like just playing against older guys and being the smaller guy and having to really earn that respect. And not, it was never handed to me. So like any time that I was playing against older guys or playing with um, even guys my dad's age, like and at the Y when I was a little kid, just 
I knew I had to be physical. If guys want to talk trash, I was gonna I was gonna talk trash back. I was gonna let them know I was there. And um, so it was really just playing up. I think it really made me get that mentality. And so when that play happened, it was it was um, it was more about just letting them know I was I was there, even though he pushed me. <laughs> so so there's that, but then there's also the confidence, and we're gonna get into the confidence in like a real way. But there's a lot of you know great shooters, there's a lot of great ball handlers growing up, especially. Your confidence has always been another level. Was there a point, was there a, a, a game when you were like in eighth grade, in high school, something like that, where you just kind of, the switch flipped a little bit and you were like, oh, wait, I actually do this? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, in my senior year in high school, I averaged 42. And like, and it's, it's kind of crazy. Like sometimes like I don't, when I'm playing and I just play, like I'm playing, I'm competing and whatever happens in the game happens. And then after sometimes I'm like, oh, shit, like. I can't believe like I just had a game like that. So like, there's definitely moments and times I'm still like it's it's crazy to me. But I know the work that I put in. So like, whenever I do things, it's in the moment. I, I don't. It doesn't really phase me or affect me. But after the games, I'm sometimes still like it's just crazy. You you mentioned playing up as as sort of a um, a a means to gain more confidence, a means to embrace you know, having a chip on your shoulder and all that stuff. How much did your size also play a role in that? Being, I mean, no offense, dude. Yeah. You're small for a basketball player. Yeah. You're your normal size for human beings. I feel good in my skin. You're, you small small for, you want. No, you're small for a basketball <laughs> yeah. player. So how much, how much of it that, and I assume you heard that in high school. I'm sure you heard it in college because I remember, you know, watching you at Oklahoma. Yeah. It was like, well, he's, he's maybe too small. He's maybe too, like, how many times did you hear that growing oh, up? I've heard that over and over again so much. And, um, I mean, I've had he's too little, like, chance in high school. And even in college, we would go on the road. I think Wichita State, it was crazy saying that. But I've been, I've been called small my whole life, and I've um, always just, not necessarily just let that one thing fuel me, but that's just one of a few things that's really motivated me to 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 push forward. Because I, I mean, I just because I'm smaller than me, I can't play. There's a lot of guys that are smaller than me that guys see me in person, and they're like, oh, "You're taller than what I what I thought." And so, um, I mean, I'm small for for NBA player, basketball player, but uh, I still can do a lot of things. What What is it actually like though to be small in the NBA? And like I'm, I'm on the smaller side, but like you, yeah, yeah. you're, you're like probably in the two percent yeah. of size. You know what I mean? It's and I'm just that experience and and a little bit because I I did one of your games. I did game three, your game winner, mm -hmm. um, in Atlanta, and and you know, so I think a little bit of it, you know, in that series where it's like, okay, we're gonna put size, we're gonna put PJ on Trey, we're gonna switch with Bam, we're gonna put him on Trey, and so just the experience night to night of playing against size all the time. You're never ever going against someone that's that you're bigger than yeah no for sure it's it's a it's a different type of experience you have to be and one thing coming into the draft a lot of people didn't think i would be is durable i mean being small like and then uh coming into the league with, with grown men and, and being young like a lot of people didn't think i'd be durable but i mean i've been probably the most durable player beside mikhail bridges in my class uh since i've since i've played and um i think it's that's that's been a big factor for me. And so whenever every night I'm playing, uh, I know I'm not the smallest guy, so I got I to take care of my body. And um, But I I'm, I definitely lift. I'm, I'm taking care of and being strong. So uh, whenever I see big guys, I'm, I'm able to take some take some hits too. Um, 
Jason, our, our, our wonderful uh, head of production, um, sent me an article and, and there was this quote from your mom about how the Hornets going to Oklahoma City for a couple years and then of course the Thunder coming really set the stage for you to sort of start dreaming about the NBA. Mm-hmm. And despite the size issue, despite coming from you know a, a small town in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, when did that dream like start to take shape? And when did you start to realize like, oh, maybe this is actually something that I can do? Yeah, for sure. I think um, growing up, uh, CNCP, when the Hornets came uh, that one year and then growing up seeing the Thunder and just seeing those guys, just having that dream of playing on that stage. I think really when I got to like sophomore, junior year of high school, um, playing on one of the best AAU teams with Michael Porter, when Peace Jam, um, I think that was a big, big step for, for me and uh, my confidence around the country and just establishing myself as one of the top guards in my class that year and just uh, I really felt like I was I should have been ranked higher. I should have been one of the top players in my class. We all do. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> but, uh, but is this the chip on the shoulder? <laughs> no, nah, for sure. But, well, so Michael Porter, was he was my teammate. But he was the number one player in the country. So uh, every time we in practice, I mean, me and him talking trash, I'm telling him he's number two player, I'm number one. So uh, we still talk about it all the time to this day. So it's, it's uh, I mean, I think really when I got to that stage and we won Peace Jam, uh, that was when I, I think it was a big step. Was, was there – any doubt about going to OU? Was there anyone else even in the... Oh, yeah. I was thinking about going to Kansas for real. And uh, really, what I, a big reason why I didn't go there is because Devontae Graham stayed. And because uh, they had Frank Mason and Devontae Graham. And then he was going to be a senior. So uh, it was a big, big... Uh, that was a big reason. I was watching some of the, the crazy OU. <laughs> just you just lighting people up there for a little bit. Was there any... We always ask this about guys coming to to the league and I'm curious about your, your experience coming to the league but just like even going to college was there any adjustment in terms of the way you play and going from obviously you're doing the AU stuff but going from like you know high school basketball and Norman into all of a sudden you're putting 45 on people's heads like every night basically yeah college I, I was I was blessed enough to play for a coach like coach Kruger and uh being in Oklahoma and being in my basically my city that I grew up in uh I had, I had a blessed situation I mean the style that Coach Kruger plays, everybody knows how Buddy Heald was a couple years before I got there and him taking him to the Final Four. I knew like my style of the game was going to be able to fit with him. And uh, I saw, even though they didn't make the tournament the year before I got there, I saw some of the pieces that they had and we were going to return everybody too. So uh, all they needed was a point guard. And for me, being able to step right in and in my home city, uh, I, I think it was a no-brainer and, and it was a great situation. Um. You and I share a common bond in that as a visiting uh, player in college, we had an entire student section chant, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. I got, I thought mine sounded a little better just because JJ kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit. (laughs) Fuck you, JJ versus fuck you, Trey Young. Um, And I've talked about this openly. You know, I got comfortable playing that role as a villain but as an 18 year old my freshman year you know really my my sophomore year as a 19 year old like it really fucked with me it really fucked with me and you and i you know i'd heard chance in high school but it's not the same thing when you're doing a nationally televised game and everybody's like oh i fucking hate you and i'm 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 curious if if at all like that fucked with you being 
so hated that someone, thousands of people are going to yell, you know, chant "fuck you, Trey Young" in the middle of a game. Hell yeah, hell yeah, it, uh, it messed with me. Um, in college, it messed it messed with me a lot. Um, just being eighteen, nineteen, and going to we played in Texas Tech, and uh, I was born in Lubbock, so my dad played there, and uh, so I'm, I'm going home. I'm thinking it's going to be crazy. It's going to be nice, and Midway through the first half, you get one side of the a whole arena is yelling F you and the whole other side is yelling Trey Young. It's like, <laughs> did they set this up in harmony like the days before? But it's like, it's crazy. And, and, but it did, it did mess me up early. But I think like going through that helped me go through the playoffs and whenever now, whenever people say it, I'm able to just brush it off and this is different. Yeah, I, I, I want to get to that in a second. I. I you talking about going home to Lubbock and you know being a place where your your dad played. Um, the closest school to my high school that we played against was Virginia Tech, Blacksburg, it was about forty five minutes mm -hmm. from my high school. And the, when we played there, um, my junior year for the first time, the student section was chanting. You know, they were chanting things at me, not "fuck you" like Maryland, but um, <laughs> by the way, "fuck Maryland." I never <laughs> let a chance go. <laughs> Every camera. Um, <laughs> No, but you know they they had a sign up that was like Cave Cave Spring was my high school. Cave mm -hmm. Spring hates you. There was this big oh, yeah. giant banner being held by like twelve people, and they beat us and they stormed the floor and then they started uh, taunting my family and they wouldn't let my family leave the arena. Then there was a public dispute between my father and the athletic See, director at crazy. Virginia Tech. Like it's just the 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 wildness of that. But in a way, I think going through that prepared me for anything I would ever face in the NBA. Because I got to the yeah. point where people would yell stuff in the NBA, and I'm like, dude, I've heard that a yeah. thousand times. There's nothing, there's nothing you can say that I have not heard at this point. So, no, that's perfect. That's how I, that's how I feel. I've, I've heard it all before. I'm, so we're, we're going to talk about the Knicks in a second. I'm curious about this with them specifically, but also just with for fans watching this, you know, or listening to this at home. When you're playing, does like – is if you were a fan, would should they not heckle you? Because it feels like it makes you. It feels like it makes you play question. better. It's like if you're if you're a Nick fan, it's like Trey's coming in. Should they just like leave you alone and like let you do your thing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the Heat didn't say nothing at all. Like in Miami, <laughs> like I think they just kept it business. I I think I think there's certain guys that you just you shouldn't you shouldn't just talk leave to. Them, leave you them. leave alone. And I I feel like I'm I'm one of those guys in that category. There's there's definitely a couple guys in this league that. You shouldn't just, you just should leave alone. I feel like I'm a one of Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. That sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I've ranted about this before, but I mean it. I miss the days when coaches wore suits to games. Like Pat Riley. He just knew how to dress. And you can too, thanks to Indochino. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom. Wear your new look right out of the box and stay out of your budget's red zone with custom suits starting at just $3.99. 
I'm calling finals games now, and my plan is to outdress the legend Mike Breen. That's going to be a difficult task. I just got this navy suit from Indochino, and I did all my measurements online. I was able to customize the fabric, so it's just right for my skin. The process was super fast, and I was especially impressed by that pricing. And if you need a suit but don't know where to begin, Indochino tells you what's in style, so you're not guessing when choosing customizations. So think of Pat Riley and level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code OLDMAN to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code OLDMAN. Not to get into your psyche too much, but I do want to get into your psyche a lot. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm curious, I, I talk about this all the time. I, you know, I had to do this. I think most NBA players do this to agree, but I find that the great players do this more than anyone else with 82 games and, of course, the playoffs. Night to night, it's at times hard to get up for games. And, I, and do you find yourself looking into the crowd? Do you find yourself reading something? Do you find yourself finding ways to get motivated? Obviously, you want to play well and you do your prep and you do your routine. You want to go kill. Yeah. But some nights you need something a little extra. Do you find yourself searching that out? I mean, Steph Curry's famously, if he has a bad first half, will go read Twitter comments at halftime. Oh, really? Know? Yeah. I, I ain't heard that one. That's crazy. But I, I, uh, I definitely, I always try to find something like before a game, whether it's myself or just wanting to continue to, to keep my streak going. If I'm playing good, if I'm not, I want to find a, a way to get some easy baskets early. It's, it's, it's little little things that, I mean, before a game, if um, just depending on how the, the previous games have going. I mean, I had the same routine, obviously, every game, but um, my mental going into each, each game may be different because of maybe who I'm playing with, if guys are out or um, certain guys or whatever. But it's uh, my mental is different every game just, just based off, I mean, how I've been playing or what's been going on recently too. So, but my routine never changes. Yeah. Just, Luca was a great example of this. I wasn't with him that long, but you know, he would be lollygagging through a first half or a second quarter. And, you know, someone would come and smack the ball out of his hands on a dead ball or a fan would say something. Like, and I'm like, you motherfuckers don't know what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, stop it. So that's he was having a bad game. It's not going to happen much longer. Like you can't get people going like that. No, Luca's one of those guys too. Like I, I feel like, I mean, I hate comparisons. I, I don't like my, my type of mentality. I don't like comparison, comparing people. I don't think that's, I know it's a part of everybody's nature and that's what we're, we're going to do as basketball fans and, and all that. But I don't like getting into it a lot, but I feel like, Similar types of games. If I was six eight, I'd be just like like Luca. I feel like our <laughs> games, pick and roll. I mean, able to find people, able to get to the lobs, get the floaters, the shoot, shooting shots. I think our games are very similar in a way. But he's just six seven, six eight, and uh, but he's definitely one of those guys that are. I mean, one of those same guys you don't know, leave alone for sure. I mean, we can, we can jump there real quick because um, I, I I swear to God I didn't bring him up because I wanted to do the comparison. But I, you know, I did read that you had a great quote about the, the comparison being annoying, and I'm sure you're acutely aware of the fact that you will be forever linked to Luca yeah. because of that draft night trade. Has your feelings or thought around that 
link and that comparison evolved in the four years you've been in the NBA? Um, what do you mean by that? Well, for instance, when you first started and he came out of the gates hot, and I'm not saying you struggled. You, you played well and you put up numbers, but you were much better after the All-Star break your rookie year. Mm -hmm. Your numbers after the All-Star break, I think you were 25 and 9 after the All-Star break. You looked like the Trey Young that we know now, right? Mm -hmm. And when he came out, it was like, oh, you know, Dallas clearly won this trade. Where now, you know, you could make an argument. You made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if initially you were just pissed off, annoyed by the constant comparison, got, got damn it, I got to live with this for the yeah. next 20 years. And now if you're just in a place where you're you're more comfortable with it. Yeah. See, early on, like, I didn't know what it would be like. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know how big the comparison would be. And um, I don't, I didn't necessarily think it would be still to this day. You know what I'm saying? But um, on draft night, you're just, emo you're just emotional and you're happy. You're, you're going to a certain city. And then uh, obviously the everybody continues to talk and I'm at the point now I just play like I, I'm just I just play and there's so much recency bias with everything you know what I'm saying I, I went to Eastern Conference Finals last year everybody you know what I'm saying it's, it's a trade's better than Luca you know what I'm saying he, he won the, they won the trade then they go this year it's, it's, it's different we go to the finals next year what everybody gonna say you know what I'm saying that, that's something that's my mentality and um, I, I know winning's gonna take care of everything so I just focus on my team and winning and let everybody else do all the comparing and doing all that. I don't, I don't have time for it. What was your your drafting experience like? Like, when did you know the trade was going to happen and everything like that? I didn't know till the third pick. So right when Luca got picked, um, I was told that he, he wasn't going there and that I was going there and uh, Dallas was going to trade. So right when Jaron got picked, um, I had already knew. And uh, so when I got caught, I was I was tripping. I didn't I didn't know anything because to be honest, I thought I was going to go to Orlando at six. Uh, they needed a point guard, and uh, so I, I had no idea I was going to go. So, uh, the decision to wear shorts on draft night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when, my, my decision. <laughs> no, it was clearly your decision. <laughs> oh, yeah. When, uh, take us through that thought process. <laughs> um, so I was thinking I was thinking about something that nobody's ever done before. And throughout the year, everybody was wearing, or during the playoffs, you, you had, I saw, I think, Draymond was wearing some some shorts and some other guys throughout the playoffs were wearing shorts, but nobody had done it to the draft. So I was like, maybe this could be the year. And then my little brother wanted to match me, so uh, I thought it was I thought it was easy, and I thought it was something that I mean, obviously people gonna remember. You brought up the you brought up the re by the way, it's elite fit, elite fit. <laughs> like I don't, I, I am not a guy that ever hates. If someone wants to go outside the box, by all means, like if you can pull it yeah, off, it's super memorable. Yeah, it's remember. just yeah. it's great. It's Sorry. great. I I appreciate it, dude. I, appreciate I'm it. not there. I'm not there. That's not me. I'm a white tee guy, you know? <laughs> um, I think I've worn this shirt and these pants in like eight of these episodes. <laughs> um, I, you, I want to touch back on something that you just said about recency bias. Because um, I had a diff I had a different experience than you throughout my career. You know, even in college, we were talking about this before we started recording. You know, I, there was no social media. There wasn't 24-7 news when I first five, six years in the NBA. You know, Twitter wasn't really a thing. Um, IG wasn't a thing. Um, and then I saw that evolve over the course of my career. You have only known that mm -hmm. since you've been a public figure as a basketball player, whether it was college. Like, 
I think yeah. I think our college experiences in terms of your year and my senior year were probably fairly similar mm-hmm. in terms of the hype and the attention and all that stuff. I mean, night to night, like as an mm-hmm. NBA player, I didn't watch. I don't watch college basketball. I watch five Duke games a year. Yeah. I watched your games. You know what I mean? That's how like big you are. Kevin Durant, Zion were probably the only other two people in my career that I would like take time out of my day to watch. And this is like all you've experienced is this recency bias. Mm-hmm. And I are you are you like comfortable with it? Does it get annoying? Does it get annoying night to night, morning to morning on first take, whatever it may be, just having to constantly deal with that? Yeah, I, w- I would be lying if I said it didn't at, at times um, before. I think now, like, I mean, even though I'm, I feel like I'm still young, I, I just, I, I feel like I'm at a better place with everything, like mentally with, I mean, I understand what it is. Like I understand how, if guys have good games, good stretches, you got to talk about them on first day. You got to talk about them on, on these shows. You know what I'm saying? If they're not playing good, you may not talk about them. I, I understand if our team isn't winning throughout the beginning of the season, you ain't going to talk about us at all. So you got to start winning throughout the beginning of the season so your team is getting talked about. So I think I, I'm starting to learn this learn this game. And it's, it's been tough because our teams have always, these past couple of years, have been good in the second half of the season. So throughout the beginning of the year, nobody's talking about the Hawks, nobody's talking about us. And last year we get to the fifth seed and, um, and we shock everybody, but we were really good throughout the whole year. But I understand it's because it's we weren't winning in the beginning of the year. So it's, 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 it's really a thing that I'm just starting to really understand. I was going to ask you about, about the Hawks. We always talk about this. We talk about this in the show a lot. Like the people that cover the stuff, the networks, everything like that, they talk about the Lakers, they talk about the Knicks. Warriors. Talk about the Warriors. Nets. Ma- Nets. Yeah. Maybe one or two others, but they're not talking about the Hawks. And really so, no one else. Yeah, so, so I, just did, I just did it for the last six months. Yeah. Really no one else. <laughs> game, no matter what's happening, they're not talking know. about it. So the games are not on national TV. Yeah. Like people know you because it's you and they know you from college or whatever, but like they're not necessarily talking about your indiv- you going off on a, on a random night. So do you feel like last year in particular, like – you guys were just like slept on. Like you, that team was fucking good and deep. And it was yeah. like, you come in and you're just, and people were like, oh, they're not, it's the Hawks, whatever. And then, we, yeah, I get it. Cause the year before that we weren't, we weren't very good. And I mean, although I was like all-star the year before, uh, we, we didn't, we didn't go to the playoffs. So coming in, it's, it's hard for really people to talk about us. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but as the season goes on, I, I feel like we, we definitely were being slept on, but coming into the season, I understand what, what it is. And, uh, but that's why it's, it all matters at the end and what you do. The Knicks series, playing in the garden, doing the bow, the chanting, the taunting back to the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, was that was that peak Trey Young? I'm not talking about the, the basketball part. Oh, no. But was that peak? No, no, I know you're not. I know you're oh, not. God. Yeah, your fourth year, dude. I'm talking about just like peak Trey, the villain. Was that peak Trey Young? Um, I don't know. I don't know. That was that was a that was a fun series. That was you enjoyed a, it. You enjoyed all of that. I did. I did. I, just because I know the stage. Like I just knew that the stage and it being their first time back to the playoffs and I don't know how long and just I feel so bad for Nick's. It, it was it was it was loud. Like it was crazy. Like I've never been. I mean, I I give them a lot of credit. It was the mo- craziest environment probably I've played in. And I played in, in college environments. You would, yeah. it was way different than NBA games. So for the fact that that was even that loud and from start to finish and then them yelling the whole time, it, it was a, probably one of my favorite, favorite uh, times playing basketball. So everyone talks about the Knicks series rightfully so, but I wanted to ask you about the 
the Philly series. Because I feel like you guys ripped the soul out of that franchise yeah. twice in that series. Obviously in the game seven, but then in the, the comeback before. Is there something like can you can you explain to sort of the casual listener what it's like to like rip the heart out of a building like that that is that enthusiastic and then you just come in and in nine minutes and just take and suck everything out it's it's no it's no other feeling like whenever you go on the road and and you're just playing especially you playing arena like philly and their fans start booing their own team and it's (laughs) it's loud like it's crazy like it's just no there's no other feeling like but they, they want to do the same thing to us, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know that when they came and they beat us in game six, that was their mentality. They wanted to come and not let us win and, and end it because we were up 3-2 after the game five comeback. So we knew we had to go up there and, and take care of business. But that was, I mean, a crazy series. And I mean, obviously people talk about we ended the process, but that was, that was a, big, a big deal for us. Uh, when Ben Simmons um, decided to pass, how shocked were you? <laughs> I didn't realize in the moment what it what it was, but I mean, I looked on my phone after the game. Everybody's killing him. You were coming over as the help defender, right? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I've I always wanted to ask you this. Look, you ask well, yes. Me. What were you gonna do? Had he gone up to dunk or shoot a layup? Even if you just go up to shoot a layup and use the size, like what were you? Gonna, what was your plan in that moment? It depends. If you would have turned turned and faced the basket and, and kept it high, there's no reason to foul and get him an end one, but. If he did what he was doing, which took a low dribble, and I think he spun and took a low dribble, I would have fouled him and not let him get the shot off or try to hit the ball or just try to hit it, hit his arm and, and, and get him sent into the free throw line. But I think he kind of knew that I was going to come over and foul him, and that's why he passed it up. And so, uh, but yeah. In, in, in a little bit of fairness to Ben, a little bit. Not, I'm, not, I'm not condoning him passing the ball. He was a little off balance. He also probably didn't know that it was you. And I think that's what, yeah. in a way, that's what makes the pass so egregious. Yeah. Because as a fan, me. you're like, it's Trey coming. <laughs> They'd be like me coming over. You know, it's yeah. like, why are you passing up a layup against me? It's a stupid yeah, yeah. fucking play. But you know, like in those moments when you spin and you're, it's, it's a quick, it's a quick moment. He, he may not know that it was me. He sees, he sees a, a Hawks jersey and he's yeah. like, let me get off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sees a blue jersey right behind me that he can just drop off and maybe get a layup. So. I mean, it's 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 a bang bang play, and, and it sucks for him. I, I understand like that, that's a tough play because he's a good player. Like I don't I don't I hate how people talk about how bad of bad of a player oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That, that's what I'm saying about recency bias. I think he's a really good player, but I think one moment can get people turning. We we've said this all the time. I, I understand you know because I played in Philly and I understand some of the gripe that Philly fans have with him in terms of the the reluctance to shoot. Uh, because he does mm-hmm. work on shooting, and, and I, I don't have a reason why he won't shoot. So I think it's like the lack of growth in that department is very frustrating for them. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I, I I think we don't appreciate Ben enough for how great he is at the things he does well. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he's, he is a great player. And I, I, I honestly, I hope he recovers and is healthy and comes out next year and just kills for the Nets. Did you, this year, when you went back to Philly – did you experience any of that animosity on a similar level that you experienced going back to the garden? Oh, uh, nah. Uh-uh. No, nah, it, was, it was different. I mean, they have a not totally different team, but they're a different kind of kind of roster. We're playing Tyrese a little bit more. So it's, it's, it's a totally different situation, I feel like, there than um, New York. I feel like them seven, Julius, and all those guys from, from last year was, was kind of why it's still a little um, – 
I mean, battle and a lot of a lot of fans love it. So I, I don't think the the same thing. Are you aware that you live rent free in New York Knicks fans' heads? Are you aware of some of the stuff that has happened? They'll win a game and they'll go out in the streets and they'll start chanting "fuck you, Trey Young." Oh yeah, but it's against the Celtics. Or I believe there was a time where they started chanting "fuck you, Trey Young" at a concert. Yeah, yeah, it was, it, it, Yankees games. They, they. Uh, I, I saw a clip the other day. Somebody, somebody showed me. Denzel, I don't know if y'all saw Denzel say something to the Heat. He plays about, about the elevator. Yeah, yeah. Give me, give somebody, give that boy a haircut. Talking about me. <laughs> Comes to find out he's a New Yorker, uh, Denzel. So it's like, I mean, I'm a big fan of him, but then it finds out he's a New Yorker. So I mean, it's it's a, uh, I've I've come to to realize it is what it is. The thing is, they also they gotta beat you. Like they haven't beat, they haven't you. This is a one sided battle right now. So it's like they could say this. We were talking about earlier. They could say whatever they want, but like. The, the Knicks need to beat Trey Young in a playoff series for this to become more of like a back and forth rivalry. Right now, it's not. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. You clearly have the upper hand in that department. Uh, <laughs> on that question about peak Trey Young, let's get to the basketball part of peak Trey Young and what that looks like. You just finished your fourth year. I think you led the league in total assists and total points, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I know you averaged whatever it was 28 and 9.7. Um, the advanced stats love you too on that side of the ball. You're third in the league in offensive win shares. The stats guru. I do. I looked. I'm on Basketball Reference all day long, bro. <laughs> and then I, I get to, I get a newsletter now every morning with all these crazy stats. I just I eat it up. I love it. But the two guys ahead of you in offensive win shares were, were Jokic and Giannis. Like mm -hmm. so, on that side of the ball, let's talk about that side of the ball, the offensive side of the ball. Where do you see growth for yourself? Where do you feel like you can be better? Um. I mean, I wanted to continue to get better in my efficiency every year, and uh, I've, I've done that every year, and that's that's one goal of mine every year is to continue to get better in my efficiency from all areas of the floor. And um, I wanted to add my mid-range, uh, just work more on my mid-range because that's another layer of, of of the game that I feel like Demar is killing and certain guys are killing, and it's it's, it's working to their advantage. So working more in the mid-range and not necessarily shooting long floaters and more mid-range pull-ups um, like CP and certain guys. So I think those two things and continuing to be more efficient. Um, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to continue to lower my turnovers because I have the ball in my hand so much. So I want to I want to continue to lessen my turnovers even more too. Um, but those are three those are three probably things that I want to focus on. I went on a, um, Pablo Torre's podcast uh, last week. Uh, he wanted to do an episode on flopping. And one of the little tidbits from the episode, and Sue brought this up, um, Sue Bird, our friend Sue Bird, brought this up um, during the Sloan conference, was she found out that I would practice coming off screens, coming off dribble handoffs, coming off uh, step-up pick and rolls in my off-season workouts. I'd practice going up for my shot and then flailing my arms and flailing my, flailing my legs. Practice basically somebody trying to strip down on you or somebody nudging you on the leg, right? Mm -hmm. So I practiced those shots. Um, and I and I would make them in practice, and I would then make them in a game. I, I did it all the time. Um, the most fascinating thing you do on a basketball court, you do a lot of fascinating things. One of the most fascinating things you do on a basketball court to me is you shoot your floater and your lob pass the same exact way. Mm -hmm. How much practice goes into that? Uh, it's, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot of it's connection to thing with my bigs, like me telling them like, 
and it, and it comes from like me learning from certain guys like CP. I know a lot of people are killing him now and recently, but I mean he's a he's a legend. I've I've learned a lot from CP and him talking like always. You know what I'm saying? When he's, even if he's not a screen's not there, said it, said it like screen, screen like just just he's always talking. I think when I I come off a of screen with Clint or John, I'm telling him roll, roll, big fella, roll, and it's. Sometimes it's just to get his man to go back to him so I can shoot the floater. Or if he comes to me, then I know my bigs are still rolling because I told him to roll and it's a, a lot right to the rim. So it's, it's, uh, it's a learning thing and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm pretty good at it now and I can be a little bit better, um, but that's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, it? but in real time, I don't think people that watch that appreciate in real time how difficult that is. That decision is made essentially as you're going into the same motion, yeah. you're making the same motion going up yeah. and then you're making that decision sometime in the air, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I tell my teammates, be aggressive first. So like when I'm going, I'm looking to shoot the floater first. And if it's, if I see the big coming to contest, it's, it's, it's an easy floater, just a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right <laughs> for my bigs to go catch it. How are you supposed to defend that? I mean, it's, it's you don't play drop coverage. Yeah, that's, that's fucking how. Like, yeah. like, what do you do? That's it. But that, that, if you if you look back at the series we won, we beat. I mean, the Knicks. You had Robinson and, and Nerlens. They were in drop coverage a lot. I mean, Joel was in drop coverage, and then you played Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and those guys were in the same thing. So I think it's it's uh, we this year is is they Miami. They did a lot of switching the defense. Yeah, yeah. And, but uh, but again, that, that was a matchup thing. You know, the playoffs are all about matchups, yeah. and that to me was a bad matchup, not just for your team, but a little bit for you as well, because you weren't going to get the pick and roll, the comfort. Like I, I think about the the switch Dallas made in that series uh, against CP, against Book. What do they do that's comfortable? Well, CP is comfortable playing against drops. Okay, we're not going to play drops. We're gonna we're gonna switch or late switch everything. Mm -hmm. What does Book do? He comes off a of DHO on that backside action and he turns the corner for his pull up J. Okay, we're just gonna blitz that. Yep. You know, that's essentially what the playoffs are. Like, what, how do we make best players uncomfortable? But sometimes it's more personnel too, because not every team can do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, if if you say that and you you telling Joel and B to do that every time, and you telling him to go score on the other end, it's hard for him to be up and whenever y'all been playing drop coverage all year. And uh, but so I think it, you, you're right. That's what that's what the good teams do. And that's why the team they, that beat us did it. It's, it's I believe why, you know, Miami specifically and Boston specifically are in the Eastern Conference Finals because they have the personnel to do pretty much everything defensively. A great example of what you're talking about is the Golden State Series against Denver this year. And granted, Denver was completely outmatched and they're missing two of their three best players. But in that game one, it was clear, like, they had they had an emphasis on being up in pick and rolls with Jokic. He hasn't done that all season, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden Steph's just thrown over the top. Draymond's going downhill four on three. Yeah, that's the playoffs, and so the best teams to me have that versatility of being able to play a bunch of different ways. No, for sure, and that's I mean that's where we're trying to get to, and that's where we got to go. Um, I just want to last point on the floater as a as a viewer. I think what's fascinating about it is that I I can never tell what you're doing on that floater or pass until there's a dunk or the shot goes in. It's just, it's, it's a weird experience because you're watching a game and there's things that, what did he just do? It's it's every time, yeah. you know? We did, oh, that was a shot, okay. Yeah, I've, I've definitely, I've watched some games in film where I've, they were like, they didn't know what it was. But no, I think as a small guard, you gotta have it. I mean. Maybe not necessarily a guy like you that's coming off necessarily shooting. You're taller than I am, so I I needed it. Like I needed, it. I always needed it. 
on that floater. So I've I've constantly worked on my floater. Yeah. Are there are there other guys um, like CP that you've not only looked up to might be the wrong word, but you just watch and you sort of learn from over the years, and they just do different sort of specific, especially offensive skill set things where you're like, I want to try to emulate part of that into my game. Um, there's a lot of guys. Uh, I mean. Recently, I mean, Tony Parker came to one of our games. I told him about, like, his finishing around the rim. Like, it's a guy who I, I watched a lot of floaters. Like, I watched him, um, Steve Nash. Um, I mean, there's Chauncey Billups. Like, I was a big Chauncey Billups fan, just the way he was ready for the shots. Like, big shot Billups. Like, that's a, that's a, I'm a big fan of his. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, AI being small, score, being able to do it all. Those, those four guys, first four that really come to mind. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. There's one thing that my life as a professional athlete has taught me. It's the importance of a good night's sleep, and my sleep has improved big time ever since we started using a Helix mattress. Everybody is unique and sleeps differently, which is why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from. We selected a Helix model with a more responsive foam that cradles the body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions, which is great for anyone struggling with back pain. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. And right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash JJ and use code HELIXPARTNER20. That's HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Again, that's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash JJ. Use code HELIXPARTNER20. All right, let's talk about the other side of the ball. What does peak Trey Young on defense look like? Because this is something that I had to deal with in my career as, as well. There were different points in my career where people would say, as a compliment, oh, he's not that bad, actually, defensively. Yeah. It's probably the nicest thing everybody said. I was actually solid there for yeah. a few years. But no, that was generally the compliment. That was the best version of a compliment that I could get. He's generally yeah. not that bad on defense. And then, of course, there were years where I was god-awful on defense. You know, I, I'll admit that. Um, and especially as, uh, you know, I hit age 36, 37, like, and was injured. I couldn't fucking move my last year. <laughs> Just why you threw the ball between my legs. Um, <laughs> um, but some of that, for me, and and we're in the same sort of category on this, some of that is just size. Like I have a negative wingspan. You know, if I was 6'4 with a 6'9, 6'10 wingspan, I would have been a better defender. That's just facts. Mm -hmm. So how do you sort of view that side of the ball and where you can make improvements? Um, yeah, for me, I think I think on defense, like you said, there's some things that just I'm just I was wasn't blessed with. I wasn't blessed with height. I wasn't blessed. I'm I have a shorter wingspan than my body. So uh like like you said, that's that's not that didn't work to my advantage. So um, 
I I think um, for me it's, it's it's all about positioning, and I think I'm learning, and I got I got to be a lot better, and and I'm still learning how to to be in better position early, and um, so I'm not put in certain situations where I'm caught because I'm because I'm smaller. Uh, so I, it's it's more about just learning reads. I got to be more into the film room before I play a team, knowing uh, certain things going into next year. So there's there's a lot of things that I'm going to be. Um, looking to improve on next year, and that's one one area for sure too. Did you did you learn anything in the Miami series? Did you walk away from that series saying, "Man, fuck"? Like some of it again was personnel, of course, and some of it was a bad matchup. But did you walk away from that series like, "Fuck, I got to do this part better"? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, I um, I don't look at all those other excuses that that could happen. I feel like. We we uh, went to the series and I feel like we had a chance to win and um, I think looking back at it I feel like what we could have done better is get out in transition more because that's a really good half half court defensive team um, but when you're not getting the ball off a rebound and they're getting it and they're scoring it's, it's hard to get in transition but I think if we would have got more stops and got in transition more it would have helped us and because uh, they're a really good half half court defensive team and I think that slowed the game down and we're we're a high pace offensive team and that. That really uh, messed us up. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing I kept saying when I was doing the game is like, and and your game-winning bucket was on this scenario. I was like, Trey's got to attack before the defense gets set mm -hmm. because against that set defense, and we saw it last night as well. We're recording this right after game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. When you go in, in an ISO situation and try to go against uh, really good defenses uh, where they have guys in the gaps that are going to be there in yeah. the gap, they're not moving. They're, and then they're going to fly around and close out. I mean, Jimmy Butler had one in the strong side corner against Tatum last Block. night and blocked it. Yeah. Right. And, and so it's like it, you've got to be able to get the ball quickly, even off of make, and just attack before that big or before that guy sets up at the nail. And that's the thing. In game three, the one game we won, we were at home. Guys were, it was, guys were knocking yes. down shots. And so whenever the, the Miami Heat, they play – their defense the same way until you until you break it. So they're going to be at the boxes and elbows and helping and and uh, being in the passing lanes until until you knock it down. And so I think Bo, Bogey got going that game and a transition play. He, everybody was spreading out. Nobody was really spreading back to the paint like they usually do. And uh, was able to get a floater. I was going to uh, to ask you sort of similarly about the the guy the older guys that you you know grew up watching, younger guys around the league that you like. Uh, we talk about a lot of we talk to a lot of different guys about this about just guys who are not you know all stars. Himself. He is a young guy, <laughs> not you, not Luca, you know, not not the sort of upper echelon um, superstar types, but just can't be your teammate. But other young guys, you feel like are just you know doing something, um, doing something that is kind of under the radar. Like people aren't talking about them so much. Um, I mean, I think what it's it's really cool because like. Seeing like a lot of young guards really do some cool things and, and big things early in the career is, is big. I think Darius Garland, uh, I mean, what he did for Cleveland this year, I mean, with, with Colin being out, obviously those three bigs really helped him. But he, he did a good job getting everybody involved, scoring when he needed to. Uh, I'm a big big fan of Darius. We, we've played against each other growing up in, in AAU too. So um, seeing him really take his team to the next level this year was, was big time. Uh, Trey, before we let you go, we got a couple more minutes with you. Um, I want to just nerd out a little bit on three-point shooting. And you are one of the guys that 
could essentially function on a basketball court if there was a four-point line. I mm. think it's probably three of you. There's probably you, Steph, and Damian Lillard. But I always say the three of you shoot unconventional shots because both you and Steph, in a way, your, your release is different, but in a way shoot a push shot on the way going up. Um, not at the apex of the jump. And then Dame shoots a palm ball. So he, mm-hmm. and he has, you know, his base is insane and he has so much Strong. lift on his base. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but he shoots a palm ball. So he gets a little extra distance that way too. Um, and you talk about just as a young player being able to extend your range because you were playing on the wing and all that stuff. But from a technical standpoint, how are you? I, I think it's the, the your wrists. Your wrists are fucking insane. When I watch you shoot, Mm-hmm. The, your wrist flick is insane, but for you, where do you think your 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 advantages in being able to shoot from that far away? Um, I think to be honest, I think it's in my forearms. I think I think shooting that far is is, is in my forearms. I I used to be in middle in, in high school with those little things that uh, walk around the class, just working on my <laughs> forearm just to make sure. Like when I got to practice, my like a like the lacrosse ball type thing. Yeah, like, yeah, it's uh, not exactly lacrosse ball. But yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the grippers, the, the vice grip- things. Yes, yes. yes. The, the, okay. the, yeah, so I would okay. I'd work on that just to make sure my forearms ready for practice. But that's that's like I feel like I get my range from my forearms and my wrists, obviously. Um, but I think it, it helps because guys have to pick me up higher. And if it's not an advantage for me to get by my defender and there's a bunch of space, I'm able to throw it to another guy who's a driver who's can, who can use that space that my guy is. Because usually the guy is, is, is not necessarily in the paint or helping at the nail. It's, it's, he's more connected to me. So it's more space behind it. So it's more driving lanes for everybody. What is your actual range? Like, what are you comfortable? Yeah. Don't don't. Yeah. No. Nah. Don't gaslight us. <laughs> like, tell us the truth here, man. Man, I, I mean, I, I feel I feel comfortable when I step. I mean, probably cross half court. Like when I'm in the logo, like. Um, but I mean, I, I it's, it's really just a field thing. Is it, JJ, is it weird for you as a, as one of the better shooters of all time to then see like because this is obviously you guys play the game differently. Yeah. But to have, to see people with range that is this extensive, yeah, it's well similar to you. When I was in high school, I wasn't shooting high school threes. Yeah, I was very comfortable shooting NBA threes. In college, I would shoot beyond. Like we'd go play at the Garden, and I'd shoot behind the NBA line. It wasn't a big deal to mm-hmm. me. But my range had a limit. Like it really did. I would get to like thirty. You know what is it? 24, 24 feet. Uh-huh. I get to like thirty feet, and yeah. I'm pretty much cashed out. Like I I can't really shoot the same shot past 30 feet and some of that is i think because of the way i jump you know jumping forward kind of using that momentum and you shoot at the top of your and i shoot at the top and i think that you you don't kind of get enough yeah you don't have enough distance yeah Yeah, i mean it's it's, i couldn't do that i know i couldn't i shoot i shoot on my way up so that's how i'm able to shoot further too because i use my legs to to push a little bit further so yeah somebody who shoots at the top of their release it's it's harder to shoot way further i i I want to add on this i just thought of this when you were talking about the the pickup point and my it was about halfway through my first year in philly and then pretty much all of my second year in philly um they liked ben on ben was the point guard but they liked him on bigger guys and they would put me on point guards i'm 35 years old (laughs) and i'm guarding trey uh in atlanta and i just remember what was so difficult was not fouling you because I had to pick you up so high and you were so good at turning the corner. Mm-hmm. And that part of your game, and a lot of people talked about it. A lot of people talked about it at the beginning of the year. 
because you did an illegal move where you jumped backwards into people, which absolutely should not be a foul yeah. on a defensive player. You'll admit <laughs> no, that. Yeah. You'll admit that. Yeah. But you're still able to get fouled. Yeah. Despite your size. Like, how do you sort of navigate that in real time in a game? I mean, so I gotta use I gotta use that to my advantage. If guys wanna be physical and be bigger and be all stronger and stand over me and all that like i gotta use that to my advantage i gotta use their aggressiveness and start stop use it like there's no i know how to to change pace i think changing speeds and changing pace gets guys off balance and it forces them to to use their hands or use their their need to, to slow me down um so that's that's a foul automatically so i just know especially when i'm going into a game and i know how physical guys are going to be and if they're picking me up full court i know how to use their hands use their hands against them so i i kind of like using their their aggressiveness to against them it's it's the hezzy dribble for me because you're legitimately like 38 feet from the basket picking you up and then you go into the hezzy dribble and that high on the court you still know there's potentially a screen coming and you can either go hezzy right or, or flip it back going left right. and you on that left side you always like bringing it down the left side and that to me was like I'm fucking guessing every time. And I'm not a good defender, <laughs> but I'm guessing every time. I don't know after that. Once you hezzy it, I'm like, all right, pick a side, pick a side. Yeah, yeah but that, that's so that's a, that's a good point because I, I like using that a lot. So that's a that's a big move of mine, and I I, I actually learned that from Steve Steve Nash, and um, so getting into my hezzo, I'm able to read what the defense is going to do. If if I'm getting into my hezzo and I see the defender about to jump over the screen, I'm able to have time to. To reject it, if I see he's 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 late a little bit, I'm able to use that skip to get into a burst off yeah. the off the screen. And a lot of times, that's where you get into that lob game is when yeah. you do get that burst going right, and then click Clint gets behind the yeah. defense. I watch game. I watch the game, man. I watch the game. You watch. You know your stats, man. <laughs> Trey, we appreciate it, brother. This is awesome. Guys, this is great. Appreciate y'all. If you like The Old Man of the Three, you can listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Fly style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. 
Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.